Hello and welcome to episode 241 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for hanging out here with me today. My God, am I excited for this interview. This interview blew my mind. Um, you know, when I'm putting the, these conversations together with these guests, I do enough research and homework on my guests to know that they sort of qualify and fit the, the sort of little little niche area where I want my guests to be in to know that they just qualify for the show. They qualify and they fit the audience and the kind of storytelling that we go through and that sort of thing. But when I do that, I come across interviews that just blow my mind. And this is one of them where I was taken aback a number of times listening to this guest's story, um, their journey, and the the different points along that journey. And (laughs) it's just so awesome. Before I introduce today's guest, the Craft Beer Label Design course is coming out March 2nd. I am so jacked up and excited about this. The value I am bringing in this course, the production quality of this course is bananas. It's so awesome. And I can't wait to bring this to you. If you at all are excited about craft beer labels, craft beverage labels, and and packaging and labels in general, by God, you're going to love this freaking course. And I have priced it to a point where it is accessible for as many people as wants to take it. It's, it's so accessible. The value is insane, but it's incredibly accessible. I'm not going to tell you too much more about it until closer to that March 2nd date. But if you want to get in the front of the line and be the first to know about the craft beer label course and when that's going to launch, because I'm going to release it a little bit early, just saying, then head over to printdesignacademy.com and enter your email there so I know you're interested in this. But when you do that, you are going to get a free guide that I put together for five different beer labels and shrink sleeves where I talk about them. I talk about who the designer was. I talk about how they were created, the materials, the colors involved, and little bits about the file and inks that were needed to create that particular label, what makes it special, what I love about it, all that kind of stuff. So head over to printdesignacademy.com to get that free guide to five beer labels and how they were made. If you're a designer and interested at all in craft beer labels, designing beer labels, designing spirit labels, kombucha, cold brew coffee, whatever it is, you will want this guide. And it's free. Why not? Five beer labels and how they were made. Printdesignacademy.com. Boom. I'm excited to share that with you. Go get it. Now, today's guest My God, today's guest. Today's guest is Phil from HE Creative, and this is a gem of an interview. I'm going to tell you just a couple of points here, and then I'm going to let you dive in and and just take it away. Let Phil take it away, because Phil's going to take it away. You know what I mean? During this interview, Phil shares with us the wild story behind their success, like the roller coaster, the... It's quite funny how it started and where it led. I'm just, I'm remembering the conversation. It's awesome. 
the story behind HE Creative and how they landed in that beautiful little niche where they are, where they're excited every day about the creative that and the work that they're putting out. He also tells us about the tour of Disney Animation, Disney Animation, that got him really excited about illustration and design. He shares with us how he was told by art teachers throughout his schooling to not do this. Do not do design and illustration. It ain't your jam. That's what he was told. And here he is proving them all wrong. What a guy. He then shares with us the first sort of actual project that he created and how it sold out in hours. We then talk a little bit about his work with Kanye West. Dan Mumford gets a shout out in this episode, my good friend Dan Mumford. And then Phil tells us about the time just before he really got into the punk work and started releasing his punk design and illustration work and why that period just before was super challenging for him. Oh, and we get into the worst project he was ever a part of. The worst. The worst. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to let Dan tell the rest of the story because there's a lot more to it and he's way better at telling it than I am. So let's get right to it. My guest today, Phil from HE Creative. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Phil, how are you? Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, man. Hi, how you doing, Dave? I'm doing terrific. Thanks for asking. Um, You are the first interview I'm doing back after the whole like Christmas and holiday break. So I'm a little, I got some butterflies, Phil. Oh man. Well, um, it'll be nice and easy, simple, chilled. Piece of cake. Just, just know that you can't turn it around and ask me questions. That's my, that's me asking you, right? Okay, cool. (laughs) Just play. Um, Awesome. Phil, well, are you ready for a quickie? I am, Dave, with you, always. Beautiful. I love to hear that. So now I'm going to kick it over to you. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, my name's Phil. I work for a company. Well, I own a company called HE Creative with my wife, Charlotte. We are specialize in music illustration, working with the music industry's greatest bands you've heard of and never heard of. Um, and we do kind of retro nostalgic illustration stuff um if you're retro nostalgic for the 90s to the 70s <laughs> to the 70s but like it looks like it's from the 60s so it, it's like for our work really kind of hits home with like 30 year olds that stand at the back at gigs that's our target demographic <laughs> 30 year olds <laughs> who stand at the back at gigs that's it yeah with your arms folded yeah. um people that go home People that turn up after the support band and leave before the encore. That's our target demographic. <laughs> nice. The ones that go like, ooh, 9.30, it's getting a bit late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. 
beautiful. Or like okay. when you, you get to there and you go like, oh, I came here to see this band. They don't, this isn't them. And then you realize all the members have changed since the last time you saw them. <laughs> Only the drummer's the same. Yeah, yeah, the same drummer. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. So give me like the 60 second intro on how you got into that. Like how did you niche down into that market? Oh, yeah, it's uh, super weird. So I left university and I didn't want to get a job with anyone. So I started just working for myself. Um, Bummed about trying to do that working with really small businesses. Then I realized that in my area, there was hundreds of little design companies. So I thought like, oh, this is rubbish. Um, I should, but I could maybe branch out bigger. I don't have to work with local people for no money. I could do bigger stuff. So then I approached someone and ended up working for Kanye West. What? And then, yeah, mad, but <laughs> this is where it gets weirder. So I worked with Kanye and then I worked for Pharrell Williams and things were flying pretty well. And then I thought to myself, and this is where it's interesting, Dave, why don't I leverage the success to work with local companies? <laughs> I don't know why. So then I started working with loads of crappy little companies again until one of them, two years ago killed my spirit and destroyed my soul that I had a minor breakdown mm-hmm. and we, me and my wife were sitting watching uh, the terribly great Netflix show Riverdale and I drew a picture of Betty and Veronica as punks and I was having a right laugh at this and I thought oh you know what rather than all this corporate rubbish I post I'm going to put that on my Instagram. Now, at the time, we had 400 followers. And then overnight, we gained like 20,000. Good Lord. People were like, oh, this is kind of funny. So then I started doing more of what I wanted to do and putting that out in the world. And then my favorite band of all time is The Distillers. Okay. And I drew Brody, their singer, as a paper doll. And then she reposted it. And then more people were like, oh, that's kind of cool. You could do this for bands and stuff. So now we kind of get cool work with cool bands and it's completely bizarre but it all just comes from frustration mainly (laughs) okay (laughs) i don't even where to start to unpack that man so i'm just gonna hope that we get a little bit further into it um you know with some of these other questions but before we get too deep into that i want to kick this back in time i want to ask you now phil about your childhood do you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of pointed you down this career path yeah, I, I kind of did. I grew up, in with, in regard to the punk stuff, my earliest memory is being at my nan's house and seeing my uncle Paul, um, who was a first-generation punk, and he had like a big Mohican, and he went to school with Sid Vicious and was like kind of cool. And I remember seeing him and being like, oh, that's cool. And then I would collect anything that was like a punk. So I've got somewhere in our studio, like a little Garfield with a Mohawk, I had or anything punk I was kind of drawn to and then my like grandparents drew all the time and did like little cartoons and things um I had an uncle that worked for a big design company and a cousin that was all my cousins are much much older than me so they gave me all their hand-me-down toys to play with so I was always playing like Star Wars figures and anyone that follows us has seen I had the full Kenner original collection up in our studio um so all that stuff and like watching Disney stuff, it all kind of came down to just drawing all the time. So all I remember from being a kid really is drawing. I'm also a middle child. 
So mm-hmm. ignored by my parents. So glory <laughs> is like what you do, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, my uh, I have a third child, and I honestly I often think of that. I'm like, man, I've really got to make sure I'm like not, yeah, yeah. Doing, not doing that. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. the classic child. I love that. So always drawing, watching all of these sort of you know illustrated you know visions through your childhood, watching these things on screen. Is there, you know, a, a moment or a specific person that, you know, as you were getting older, pointed this world of design or illustration out to you and said, you really should look at this? I don't think I was ever encouraged to do it for a career mm-hmm. because I think it was always like pie in the sky, maybe. But I remember when I was eight years old, we went, me like we were on a family holiday to Disney World for the first time, mm-hmm. and you could do the tour of the animation studio in uh, what was MGM. Cool. And in there, I remember seeing the animators' desks, and they were covered in toys and awesome. and like knickknacks. And I just thought that was the cool part. And like pretty much living that dream out now. But I was just like, oh, I just want a desk covered in toys. That just <laughs> looks so cool. So that's when I first thought like, oh that's what that is but like my i was told not to do design by my teachers until i was 18 like i was refused i wasn't allowed to do design at sixth form at college i failed it at high school so i was told never to do it but like, like my art teachers everyone were like this isn't for you don't yeah. do this yeah um yeah your work is bitter and hateful <laughs> Your work is bitter and hateful. <laughs> okay, that you know. So you take that news. Your work is bitter and hateful. Don't do this, and and connect the dots between that being told no and here I am doing this as my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. So like when I say bitter and hateful, it's quite quite a strange thing. So when I was in school, I was this uber like punk. So I had a big mohawk and a spike leather jacket, and I was like nice. anti-everything, straight edge. So I was like anti-even being cool. So I was just this like rebel without a cause. Um, and so everything I did was like, it's like not art you can take home and show like your mum and dad and be like, look what I've done. Because yeah. I was making tribal war masks of Saddam Hussein and George Bush. And being like, oh, like fuck the man, and all this. <laughs> and like, meanwhile, like my teachers, who are the man, are like, oh, don't do this because, like, this is like anarchist. Where's your oh, abstract like, fruit bowl? Exactly. So because you're not doing like self-portraits or abstract fruit bowls, you're putting this box of like, I don't know if I was annoying, but to them, but like, well. I don't know what to do with this because I can't encourage it because he's been anti-establishmentarian. And so I can't be like, this is great. Um, and then also like I say, you can't take it home to mum and dad and be like, Hey, stick this on the wall. So I kind of was like lost. So I went and got a job um, working in a roadside diner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was just drawing all the time and like, Pretty much like now, people call it memes, but it's like satire. So I draw like the customers and make like funny jokes. And my manager said to me, if you don't go to art school, I'm going to fire you anyway, because you're like wasting your time doing this when you could be 
trying. Like yeah. you should try at yeah. least. So I went to like art school, didn't take it seriously. Uh, but then there's that I was good at design. Like when we got into graphic design, I was instantly just good at that. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I get this. No one's ever explained to me what T-shirt graphics or posters are. Mm-hmm. But now you're explaining it to me, I get it. And because of my kind of everything I was into as a kid, if you track it back, everything's got that 60s aesthetic that was out me knowing it. So like, I loved Ren and Stimpy. And like, so that's all like tiki kind of art and, you know, Everything, everything came back to this, like all the old Disney stuff I liked, Mary Blair, who's my favorite artist. So all these things started like to connect that like, oh, this is graphic design. So it's, you know, the, the, you know this is what I'm good at, um, screen printing and that kind of stuff. And then it started to progress into like working with lo- like local bands, doing things for friends bands. And then the first big, and the project I did was I did a poster for the UK hardcore band Gallows. Okay. So yes. at the time, they were like humongous. Yeah. And um, I touched base with them. I did a screen printed limited poster for them and gave them it for free. I was like, you can just have this to sell at shows. And they were like, oh, that's fine. That's cool. Do you want to take half and sell them on MySpace? And I was like, yes, that sounds kind of cool. Put them up and I was like, oh, no one's going to buy these. And they sold out in like an hour. Jeez. And then I was like, oh, I need to be self-employed and to fill out a tax return and stuff because I've all of a sudden made thousands of pounds um, <laughs> selling prints. Like, yeah. I never thought this would happen. This is weird. Um, you know, so then that's when it kind of became like a viable, oh, you can do this as a career. Wow. Okay, so that's the moment. So before I move on here, I just want to sort of try and understand a little bit the the sort of next evolution of that. So you create this poster for the gallows. They take half, they dig it. You take the other half, you sell it on MySpace. Boom. They sell out like crazy. Your mind is like, Oh my God, this is amazing. How does that connect to getting to work with Kanye West? Like where's the, where's the connecting dots of that? Yeah. So first of all, it was four, not with, <laughs> that's been made abundantly clear to me um, yeah. <laughs> it was not there. for us this is not with us yeah, yeah. so <laughs> my wife Charlotte who I run the business with she saw this guy was doing this thing called Kanye Wes where he was getting Wes Anderson stills and then putting Kanye West lyrics as the subtitles okay and he said can someone draw Kanye as like a boy scout from uh, Boomerang's Kingdom okay so I was like oh I can do that That'd be funny. So I did it. I sent it to him. And then we went to Amsterdam. And when I turned my phone back on, this was on Tumblr. It, my phone wouldn't turn on because all the notes that were coming through. So it would just like flash up and the battery would die. When we got the plane, I was like, what's going on? And it had just gone like viral, this uh, Kanye Wes image. And then weirdly, again, because this is so old now, MySpace got in contact with us. And they were like, oh, he's releasing. This makes me sound so, so old. If anyone under like 20 is listening to this. He was releasing Jesus, which at the yeah. time didn't have an album cover. Okay. So they were going to put it on, up on this article, but they hired a bunch of artists to do their version of covers for Kanye. So it was me. The only ones I can remember was it was me, the art director from Adventure Time, and the guy who did the Magna Carta Jay-Z album. 
Jeez. and a bunch of other people that were way above my pay grade because mm-hmm. I'm just an idiot. So I'm like, oh man, I did this funny drawing and now they're doing this. So I did that. And then everyone was like, oh, like, that's great. And it was this awful drawing of Carniac with like, just with Jesus written about it. It was awful. And then they came back to me and they were like, oh, he loves it. We're doing this article about the weirdest things he's done this year. Can you illustrate it for him? <laughs> so then I did like 12 illustrations of Kanye's life of that year. But it's again, it's so old because it's like him proposing to Kim Kardashian. Oh, and yeah, when he yeah. did, like, about the leather jogging pants. So mm-hmm. I don't know what year that was, but it's so long ago. And then that was like a thing. And then I woke up one day to a weird email from this guy who's awesome who was like, oh, I'm the head of music at Columbia Records. We've seen this. Could you do the same thing for Pharrell? <laughs> and I was just like, okay, that's weird. So I thought it was a joke. So I was like, oh, I'm not replying to that. Yeah. Good luck. And then he just kept emailing me and was like, oh, no, like, we need this. And it turns out that it was like a really weird story. It was like they'd got someone, some kid who ripped me off to do it. Yeah, and then they realised it wasn't he wasn't good enough. So yeah. then they finally found me, and it was like, oh, and but they say that this is like the weird part. He was saying like things like really normal, like oh yeah. So we showed your stuff to Russell Simmons, and he thinks it's really cool. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, sure, of course you are. <laughs> what a weird conversation? <laughs> uh, of course, you, of course, Russell thinks it's cool. So yeah, so it was just that kind of happened. But like I said, I leveraged that into working with local companies. <laughs> why would you why wouldn't you do that phil that is just brilliant I, I love the way you've broken this down and the brilliant sort of like the, the points along the path to getting here and and i love how you really go in and you own like yeah i did this work for kanye and and for pharrell to leverage to get into these local businesses yeah. <laughs> i love that that's beautiful man um so hey. what sorry go ahead no, just thank, thank you. For, I'm glad you enjoy. <laughs> it's just such a great story. So what, along this journey, is there any designs or illustrations or artwork that you've seen that stands out to you as incredibly influential to your career? Something you saw and has just stuck with you since? Uh, I want to say no, but it sounds awful, doesn't it? I really like, um, there was this girl, I don't know if she's still around, called Dynamo. Dynamo. Okay. She did like the stuff of Mad Men. She did like this. I've probably said her name wrong, but she did these like cool, like it almost like it's another influence. Like Shag, I would look at like his work and be like, oh, that's that's rad. Um, And then like Montagog, and these people that were doing that like sixties nostalgia with current influence. So all that stuff was like the things I was like, oh, that's really really cool. And then. But then my influence goes really back to like the old Archie comics and then all the like wonderful world of Disney stuff and Mary Blair and these. So like currently there's like, uh, I guess like the biggest, not, he's not like an, you know, like really bad. <laughs> he's not, I wouldn't say he's an influence, but I always really respected what Dan Mumford was doing. Yeah. Because I saw Dan yeah. as being like that bit older than me enough to, be able to have that career. So I'd look at, at the time, Dan was working with Gallows and all these other bands, and I'd be like, oh, that's kind of cool. He's like the bigger kid at school. Like, oh, 
like almost like that kind of like not that I know Dan, but like uh, that big brother kind of like oh if Dan can do it, then there's no reason I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So it was. I guess he was like influential in that sense. So I would just look at him and be like, oh, okay. So if you can approach people, because yeah. I think that's the scariest thing for anyone who's getting into design and what I, why I say I leveraged my work to work with local businesses is when you're like 23, you don't think you can contact people. You, but then like I did a brief stint with a, a printing company yeah. and when you see their sales department work and they'll just ring up someone and be like, oh, can we work for you? And the person on the end of the phone will say, yes, you can. And we'll pay you thousands of pounds to do it. And you're like, oh, okay, I could just phone up. <laughs> You know, Sony Records. There's nothing, yeah. there's no opportunity. Um, but I think people think you have to be invited into this thing. And like with bands, especially, you can just, my, well, you can't now, but back then, like you could just DM Gallows and be like, can I do a poster for free yeah. for you? Yeah. And they're going to say, yes, of course you can. No one's going to be like, of course you do. How dare you? Yeah, how dare you contact me and try and yeah. give me free stuff? And at the end of yeah. the day, we're playing for 200 people tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But at the end of the day too, if they do respond that way and 99.8% will not, if they do, Oh, well, the next one won't. Yeah. yeah. So just keep yeah, going. So kind of. Uh, yeah. That's how it kind of went. Love it. With it. So the next few questions here, Phil, that I'm going to get into, um, go through some of the challenging times in your career and some of the tough stuff. But just before I get there, I wanted to do this new thing um, that I've started doing the last few episodes. And that's where I pull up your Instagram here on this little screen share. And I'm going to scroll through it. And this is completely unscripted. And I'm just going to pick a couple of posts and I want to hear a story about it. Tell me what, what went into it, what's behind it. So let's add this in here. Do you see that all right? Mm-hmm. I can see it. Awesome. So let me switch over here. So I want to hear, you know, what's uh, what this book is all about. Another punk ABC book. Oh, another punk ABC book. So we did a, probably about 10 years ago, I drew a, I did some alphabet books for an author. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like hip hop orientated. Yeah. And I, at the time, drew a hilarious illustration that was Emmys for the Misfits um, because that to me was hilarious and I posted on Instagram and people loved it so then my darling wife said you should do a entire book of an internet of punk so I did that and it sold very very well but we flew under the radar um, in terms of try not to put bands in there that would be litigious in any way or scary Mm-hmm. So, like, if you know the punk world, there's certain people in punk you don't want to upset, like uh, Roger Murray from Agnostic Front or Lars Richardson from Rancid. So we were like, oh, let's not upset these people. Um, and also, let's not get sued. So we kind of <laughs> flew under the radar. And then we found out that we couldn't get sued because it's satire and also educational. So we were, like, double pumped. To be double in the yeah, but then all the bands started posting them and were like, this is awesome. And then loads of people started contacting them saying, why haven't you put us in there? No. And we were like, oh, this is rad. So this is like, we can do another one. So we did another one. <laughs> Called it another ABC Punk. Um, such a amazing title. And 
it's all the bands that we didn't think we could get away with putting in the first book, like Rancid and Lost It Fun and Bad Religion. But it's rad because Brett from Bad Religion brought a bunch of this book, yeah. and then we did Ease Repetash with Brett. So That's we went so like cool. to California and like met with Brett, and it was it's like my childhood dream to go to Repetash. So, what an incredible experience! Yeah, it was awesome. So kind of from. Yeah, and Brett gave me the greatest piece of advice of all time, which is do first, ask for forgiveness later. Yes. He was like, if you contact all these bands and ask them, they're all going to say no. But if you put them all in it, then they'll like be like, oh, take us out. And then if you're just like, okay, then they'll be like, oh, we weren't as yeah. important as we thought we were. Yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah, but so, more likely, you, you create this book, you put them in it, and they want to buy a bunch of copies, and they share it, and they love it, and it's all good. It's funny because the bands we were scared of the most, Social Distortion, The Misfits, all the bands we were like, either the members are scary or they're um, like perceived to be like litigious. They've all shared it. They're the ones that are like, this is really cool. So yeah, just do what you want. That's what punk's about, isn't it? I love that. Just do what you want. Just do what you want. Awesome, man. Okay, so it's going to be tough to really pick a second one here. I'm going to do my best. Now, if you see one that I'm scrolling past that you are like, that is the one that I want to talk about, you just shout it out. Uh, you can pick anything. Okay, let's go with... Oh, man, this is so hard. They're all so good. So this is around ABC Book Time. I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah well, that's, yeah, it's been re-released. Then. Wow. See, this is okay. the thing. We post every day, so... Yeah, is this a? Great. Was this a personal video? video or? <laughs> no, that's that's our baby niece. That's Poppy. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, she's our model. Our um, she's our little baby niece, and she does all our modelling for us with the books. Nice. So, like, there's back pictures of her. I made her like a punk jacket during nice. the first lockdown that she wears. <laughs> but she's that's great. So... She gets like free. She's happy. She gets free product. Yeah, exactly. She gets all the free stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, okay, yeah. so I'm going to go... This one stands out for me. I'm going to go with this one. So tell me a little bit about this. What's going on here? Okay, so these are our characters, our original characters, Mary and Charlie. Yeah. Uh, so we did this series called Riverdale Hardcore where we would take old Archie comics and then mm -hmm. make them punk. And then Archie threatened us. So then we went, oh, this sucks. Uh, <laughs> we're being threatened. So then we... Um, well, they didn't even threaten us, but they someone from Archie Comics made it very clear that we shouldn't be doing this. Yes. Um, so then we uh, made our own characters and do it with that. And we own all the rights. And so this is then, um, what are they talking about? Being ready for Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. So they just are, yeah, being happy. And they're obviously inspired by Barry, Barry and Veronica, but they're not. But they're <laughs> they're 100% original. They so now we can do what we want with them. We can do whatever we want. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's kind of funny though because I think Archie's characters come from like a similar idea. I think they are like inspired by mm -hmm. something else that they got in trouble for. So it's great. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. But yeah, yeah it's not going to No, no, it's just um, it, it's kind of cool to um, have your own characters and people like them as well. There's like a whole world of characters now and they like. They're really cool. Like they're so. It's in the comic. There's only women. It's a world where men don't exist, <laughs> and they're all like 
yeah, like, well, yeah, it's our way of like trying to represent people who aren't so like Charlie Latino. And then uh, we have like a trans character and a plus size character. And we're trying to do stuff that is like inclusive of everybody, but not like in your face. It's like just suddenly this yeah. is just what the world's like. They're not yeah. constantly talking about being like, that's what we didn't want it to be. Cause my family is Latino. So I didn't want it to be like, Oh, <laughs> she's Latino all the time. <laughs> and she likes Latino things. She's a punk. And she wears like, I've done um, crucifix t-shirts and yeah, she's just uh, her. And so it's not there. Yeah. It's not defining them as people. What like, how they their culture or their race or their gender or their sexuality world of equality exactly but with no men (laughs) men. it's only got no men because i i can't draw men you can't draw men uh not at all there's like one i can see peewee here if you go for our feed i I guarantee other than the like punk book drawings which are like barely correct um i i don't draw men that's funny it's almost like a you should turn that into like a meme itself almost like a zoolander like you can't look right <laughs> yeah, yeah. awesome man. so we'll pull that out of there uh, i'm not sure if you know this but the you know the that riverdale series that diner mm-hmm. that they film a lot of that stuff and that diner is about 20 minutes away from my house right now uh, is it that's right yeah ruling yeah, canada right yeah yeah so i'm i'm about an hour outside of vancouver and the actual cafe is in this community called Mission, which is just like 15, 20 minutes down the road from here. That's amazing. Yeah. So just, you know, maybe I'll that's go great. in there one day and I'll take a picture and send it to you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I was here yeah. just having a milkshake. Love, right? I would love to go there. <laughs> awesome, man. All right, Phil, there's no way around it. We got to get into some of the tough stuff. So a couple of tough questions about challenges, and then we'll um, we'll get to some of the happy stuff, and we'll wrap it up in a happy spot. Um, okay. What has been the most challenging period of time in your career so far? Why was it challenging, and how did you get through it? Uh, it's probably just before we started doing the punk stuff mm-hmm. and changed our trajectory because we'd gained success we didn't want if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we were in everybody's eyes and this comes across as entitled and like a spoiled child. And I'm very aware of that, (laughs) but we got into a point where we had an income through design, but we didn't want to do any of the work that we had. Yeah. So we were doing work for like real corporate stuff and companies that treated us badly clients that were just abusive to us. Yep. There's no better way to put it. Um, and doing stuff we just didn't want to do um, mm-hmm. all day, every day. And so it's really hard because you've got this kind of, you've built this life for yourself and you've chosen to go down this route. But then, oh, sorry, you get to this point where you, the business lost control of itself. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we were just doing just, yeah, just real corporate work, and it was soul-destroying. And it's also really soul-destroying when you're doing this work and then people are rude to you. But also, the reason it was so bad was we were following style guides for crap. So I knew the work I was producing wasn't going to get the results the client wanted it to get. If they let me do it my way, mm-hmm. it would be successful, but I had no... Um, 
social proof that that was the case. So mm-hmm. they, I, I'd be doing stuff with their Instagram accounts or whatever and saying, oh, if I did it my way, this would go viral. And they'd say, what do you know? You've got 400 followers. Shut up. <laughs> yes. And the only way I could prove what I was saying was by cutting them off and then doing it myself, mm-hmm. which luckily has worked. But it was incredibly frustrating um, to be in that position because it's like I'm just doing, I mean, to excuse my language, I'm just doing shit all day yeah. and everybody hates it. I hate it. You hate it. The, the Your viewers hate it. Mm-hmm. What's the point? But there was money coming in. So it's really hard when a client's paying your retainer to say, go away because you want to own the thing of Yeah, no, you hear that. You hear that out there, you know, where people have created successful businesses and successful companies, created these beasts that are producing money and producing work and live businesses, but they just don't love it. They they, they're not falling in love with the work they're creating. They're not falling in love with the business that they've built. And it comes down to is it soul crushing enough? Do you want to can just power through and continue down this path because you're making money, like leave it alone. Or do you want to bust it down and do something that you love? Yeah. yeah. And what was the, the I mean, kind of good for us because we were blameless. So the client we had that was abusive to us. Um, and when I say abusive, what, I've got a really rare medical condition. I needed to go and have a routine operation. So mm-hmm. this guy would send me the work, his brief on our, Thursday morning, Thursday, Friday, Thursday, I'd do the work. Friday, he'd amend the work and then he'd have it to post on the posting schedule for the week. And then he'd come back to me. So I messaged him on Tuesday saying, I've got this routine operation. Any chance you could get me the briefs on Wednesday and then everything could be fine for me to go for my operation on Friday and just reply back, no. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. So then I had to like bust and stress to get all this work done. Yep. Make sure there wasn't going to be any amends. Show Charlotte how to use Illustrator to make any amends that needed to be done on the Friday. So it was massive stress, the whole thing. And I was close to just walking away, being like, you can stick it. I don't want your retainer. And Charlotte was like, no, no, no. Just like give him the benefit of that this time. So then I busted to do another month's work for him. And then at the end of that month, he he said, oh, we're not getting the results we want. So we're not going to continue this. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of nice in a way because they made the decision, but it was a decision we'd already made. So yeah. we were self-destructed with them. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to walk away from a, a stable income. Totally. Or of have it taken away from you. It does feel like, but then at the same time, it's great because you have to then find that money somewhere else. Yes. And then you fall into survival mode. And you often hear that where people who have that successful career, that successful thing that they're doing that they love, found it a blessing in disguise that they got fired by the business. They got yeah. fired by the client. They, they found a blessing in disguise because then it was, well, I love this. Let's go hardcore with this with all of the time that I was spending on that. And mm-hmm. it works out because they love it. Yeah. There's a passion there and an enjoyment there that they want to just put the best work out. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, definitely true like we've just finished a product project we can't talk about mm-hmm. or we finished a project we can't talk about and the amend although it's a lot of work makes sense yeah so like there's nothing wrong with the initial work we did the client's really happy but they want to change a character so it means i've got to draw a whole nother character um and it's just an amend 
and it'll be like one face. But when you know the amend, you're like, you're just like, oh yeah, cool. And because I love the client and I love the project, and it's better, it's great. But when you've got someone who's making amends about the background of something nobody cares about, yes, in, involved in the project and it's passionless. So like when you're not excited and the clients are excited and the viewers aren't excited, you're just kind of kicking the thing around with like, what's the point? Why yeah. is anyone doing this? All the point is, is you've got a budget to spend and that budget's going to go into my bank account and then I'm going to spend that. Like, and it became completely about money. Yeah. Where And it was just pointless. He, they were getting such low results. He might as well have just transferred me the money every month and yeah. then, oh, well, that's it. It, it was completely pointless. And then it's very hard because especially if you ever have a retainer and your client you hate is the end of the week, your retainer's on the last day of the week, you spend all week just dreading doing that work. Terrible. Uh, but you spend the first half of the week raging about the last week you had to do for them. <laughs> Calm yeah. down by Wednesday and then you're back angry again. Yeah, this is a vicious cycle. Yeah, I yeah. hear you. So it's just anger. <laughs> okay, Phil, I want to get more specific with this next one. Can you tell me about a specific designer project that you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result, fell flat? What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Yeah, I can't tell you the exact project because yep. it went to call. Uh, but the worst project we've ever had was work for a company who looked at our portfolio mm -hmm. and said, we love everything you do. You're the best. Come work for us. We want your expertise. And then we said, okay, um, brilliant. This is in, in the, uh, like his pretty recent. And then um, when we sent them the sketches of our work and our style, they said, what are you doing? This is awful. I hate you and your work. Can you check, make amends for me? and make it more like this, which is the polar opposite of everything you do. And then that went through four rounds. And then they said, oh, actually, this illustrator we were working with a few weeks ago that we sacked, we like what he did. Can you just rip the AI file out and just modify his work? Yeah. And then you have to say, no, I can't do that for various ethical and legal reasons. Yes. What is going on here? And then you have to have a massive argument that involves lawyers and, and your to, yeah, to get involved because they then refuse to pay you mm -hmm. so luckily we did get paid in the end but that is probably the worst project and um, because of, there's nothing worse than saying to a client and we always say what do you like and what do you hate show me three examples of something you love and three examples of something you hate mm -hmm. just so i know like if they show me something and it's got all orange in the design you'll go like oh don't touch that color or, you know, you can see really quickly. And like, what they're doing is they're trying to get free work. So they're hiding this thing that they've got. And it's like, they've got this like ace up their sleeves to be like, oh, ha, ha, actually, this is exactly what I want. I just want you to trace it. Yeah. But we'll have some free stuff first and loads of work from you because what you do might be better in my opinion. To yeah, this but we're not sure. So we don't want to tell you what we got. Yeah. Oh. So yeah. that's the most frustrating thing. And like it's that or a client that doesn't know what they look like that wants you to draw them. That's the other worst job. So like you draw someone and like we had it recently that the guy had like a lazy eye. Yeah. So I drew him and then his wife who hired me in the job was like, what have you done? 
why has he got a lazy eye? We're like, he has a lazy eye. Like, that's what I'm... It's part of his That's part of his personality. That's what he looks like, yeah. yeah. And then they were like, no, that needs to be amended. And then you amend it and they go, it looks nothing like him. And you're like, yeah, of course it doesn't. Because you made me change everything. That made him look like him. And yeah. like, sometimes as well, when you do that, as like most illustrators will know, you will trace the face of the person you know, in whatever software. So you get exactly right before you edit it at all. So sometimes you can show someone a tracing of themselves and they'll say, that doesn't look like me. Why is my nose so big? And you're like, because it is. <laughs> it's a tracing. Yeah. What are you talking about? So it, it, that is the other problem for any illustrators here when you're drawing someone who doesn't know what they look like. Mm-hmm. is painful. Yes. Um, yeah. But I would always say that to any client is steer away from draw having yourself as your logo or like don't ask someone to draw you because, or I guess actually this goes back to the first job. There's actually, that is um, a specific thing as well that goes wrong for illustrators is quite a lot of the time someone will say to us, Oh, I've got this cupcake business and I want this cute girl, pinup girl eating a cupcake as the logo. And then you're, draw it and it'll look really cool and then they'll say oh can she be blonde and you're like oh, okay yeah i can change that oh can she be this and then you realize you're drawing the business owner <laughs> but she didn't outright just want to say draw me yeah. a pillar yeah she has to do it in this or they have to do it in this like subtle yeah way down to be like you oh no more like this woman who i found online just... yeah, yeah yeah i want to draw i want this like superhero plumber but you know Oh, hang on a minute! It doesn't look exactly like me. Well, you never said it should. Oh, no, if it had my face, it would be better. Why yeah, are you exactly. my nose so big? <laughs> that is, that's pretty much it. So it's they they're like the problem clients. But mm-hmm. I, I always think, say like I've said this before on other podcasts. I don't agree with the like most design very anti client things. I think understand, especially if you're working for independent businesses, it's their money that they're spending. And it's really hard to part with your money. So I give them the benefit of the doubt nine out of 10 times. Yeah, for sure. They come back for amendments to their own face. You're not going to tell them you're absolutely wrong. Then it's going to look nothing like you get lost. Yeah. And also someone's playing the role of art director in it. And they think it's them. So it's, you know, you just have to, I, I don't, I see like the forums and stuff with like client bashing and that kind of stuff. And I just think, you know, it is what it is. It's part of the job. Yeah. You wouldn't, like, if you work in a restaurant and someone said, oh, can I get the pepperoni pizza with no onions on it? You wouldn't stand there and go, you idiot. That's the best part. I, <laughs> myself. I know more about this than you do. That's you'd funny. just be like, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> like, you know what? That's so funny. That immediately, your example of that immediately made me think of this guy, um, who is in the town that I live in and he's an incredible guy, really generous human. He owns this hot dog stand. And Mm -hmm. like, when I say hot dog stand, don't think of like New York street corner, like cheap dogs. Like these are legit. Like the buns are made in Brooklyn and brought in like they're legit hot dogs, like foot longs are amazing. And he home makes all of these like pickled onion, like, uh, like all these amazing homemade toppings, like homemade sauerkraut and stuff like all this amazing stuff for you to put onto the hot dog. But he tells you when you like most people, when they get a hot dog, what goes on it? Ketchup and mustard. So when you get up there, he just goes, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll get you a hot dog, but there's no ketchup on this thing. Just so you know, 
can't put ketchup on this. <laughs> you're ordering right. it. You're paying for it, but he has yeah, yeah. no ketchup out unless it's a kid. If it, if you're ordering for your kid, then he goes, you know, if the kid wants ketchup, it's over here. But he doesn't tell the adults. If this is adults ordering, he's like, no, no, I don't have ketchup. You don't need that crap. Look at all yeah. these toppings I've made. <laughs> I just, I just think that that is like the designer problem. Is that you think you're like, like at the end of the day, the person that you're working for, you're a commodity. Yeah. So the person has to be happy with what they're putting out in the world. So like, yeah. you might sit there and be like, oh, you can't. Like, you see these people, are, uh, you know, bashing on things like papyrus and comic hats and stuff. It's just a font. Like, who cares? Yes. Like, if it gets me the paycheck quicker then you just do it. Like, obviously you're not showing it to them, but if, if a client said to me, oh, I really desperately want to use Papyrus, I'll just be like, yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah. Sure. It's a, it's uh, up to you. At the end of the day, it's a tool. It's a tool but for you to do for the result. If you did like a huge band, like a, a Foo Fighters or Metallica, and they were like, oh, I want a t-shirt, and we want the font to be Papyrus, right? Nobody knows who designs t-shirts or bands. So no one is ever going to sit there and go, oh, that's, Phil from HE Creative did that. What a joke. What people will say is, what a joke, Metallica did it. So you are completely, like, I love design because it's kind of like, you know, um, anonymous. Mm-hmm. You're not like the forefront. You're, you're you know, you're part of the, the crew, yeah. you know? So I always think of it like, you know, it might be a roadie or whatever. So if, I, lo- I love that. So yeah, your client will get shit on for doing bad stuff people don't look at like shop logos and go like oh that's crap but they don't ever say oh who did it yeah that oh, designer didn't know what he's talking about yeah 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 it's the like, client yeah. yeah it's the client so at the end of the day they live with it so just let them do what they want <laughs> let them do what they want um so phil i'm going to turn this bus around here for you i want you now to tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of one that just makes your heart sing um, it's, I had two. It's either the book that we put out with HR from Bad Brains, because that just feels like incredible to me that that even happened. Mm-hmm. And him approaching us is even more bizarre to be asked. Like, Bad Brains are one of my all time favorite bands. The guy is so influential, like, he invented hardcore punk. He's in, just an incredibly influential person. And for the him and to be like, I like what you do. Can we do this together? Yeah. It to me is mind blowing. And he had no amends. He just was like, do what you want. We handled the shipping and everything of the project. We just paid him his 50%. He was happy for us. He gave us all our money up front. It was like, you take all your cut first. Um, he we asked him to like sign some copies of it and he was like yep no problem like he's just so chill and cool that's cool and i met him a year previous to that backstage at um rebellion festival um which is a big punk festival here in blackpool it's like Mm -hmm. a big four-day event and i was so nervous to talk to him and i have a pma tattoo on my knuckles because on my knuckles on my wrist because those who don't know hr invented pma like the positive mental attitude like he popularized it. So it. I have that because of bad brains and I was showing it, like showed him my tattoo and he was like, Oh, that's so cool. You know, he's in his sixties. Um, and he was so like lovely to talk to like a grandfather figure. And then, but like for being so nervous to speak to him and then 
he's like calling you up to the kids book was just bizarre to me. And then also working with uh, Brett, Brett and Epitaph and doing the Epitaph book and in the same vein to kind of, we did that in a really like cheeky way. We saw Brett bought books from us and then we just contacted him from his email address that he purchased the books through and said, can we do this for Epitaph? And he's like, yeah, sure. Like we went to LA, got to sit in Epitaph and talk to him and he was just like, do what you want. Um, and then having like Skype calls with us is, it's just bizarre. Like a lot of these bands that we've worked with, we've become friends with, which is absolutely mental, uh-huh. like completely insane. Like a couple of years ago, uh, well, like, yeah, like two years ago now, we, when we were out in LA, uh, we got invited to like Mike V's house. <laughs> like <laughs> hanging out with Mike V gave us a skateboard signed it for us because his daughter was like a big fan of what we do, Emily. So like we got to hang out with them. And then we were, I was on Instagram and I was just posted being like, oh, because he sings in Black Flag now. So I was like, oh, it sucks. The Black Flag are playing in London, don't have tickets, wish I could go. And he just DMs us and was like, put you on the guest list. And then we just go and see Black Flag. And it's just so bizarre. So like, wild. yeah, it is wild. It's just bizarre. It's like, we're so grateful for how this all works now but it is those projects to work with these people that are like idols of yours like yeah. i'm not the biggest bad religion fan but brett is one of my idols and like we're currently working with our effects and i'm a huge fan of that mike and not necessarily the things he says but as a business person and that do-it-yourself attitude like when you're Though, I'm guessing not a lot of people listening would know, but like Brett put out Smash by the Offspring, which was until Adele the biggest independent selling record of all time. Mm-hmm. So you're in the presence of this business person who knows this DIY ethic better than anyone. And yeah. so it's not so much as a musician, but just as a human to look at this person. And like the whole time I like you're in his presence, you're thinking, I wonder what he saw in the offspring. Like, I wonder what it was. He was like, oh, that's, I'll put that out. Like, yeah. did he know, like, what he was doing? Like, like he's responsible for so much that, like, you love. And, like, well, I love. And, you know, these, this stuff going mainstream. And it's just crazy. And then, so any project like that, like, we did um, a paper doll book of, like, punk rock paper dolls. And one of them was Jen Finch from L7, who are my childhood favourite band. Um, and Jen, like, Skyped with us, and then she invited us to stay at hers in LA. And it's bizarre. Like, she dated Dave Grock. She was friends with Kirk Cobain, Courtney Love. And you're just, like, hanging out with this person. Like, it's normal. And yeah. then she took us to see Rancid, because L7 opened for Rancid. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, yeah, you can come. Just like bizarre, and like Rancid are like my all-time favorite band. So you just like Rancid wandering around. So it's it's like all those projects mean so much to me. They're not like the ones that necessarily paid the best, uh-huh. or even probably pushed our career the furthest. But they're just these little things that you can look at. And I like in our office we have like all these things framed on the walls. Like we get everything. If we work with someone, we get them to sign it for us. Yeah. And like, if we do a record cover for a band, we get them to sign it and put it on the wall. And it's the stuff that you're going to look back on, I think, and be like, 
you know, I don't want to be morbid, but on your deathbed and be like, oh, I did it. Like yeah. the teachers that told me this was a waste of time, they probably find, like, if we're talking to the accountant, they're probably right. It is a complete waste of time. But <laughs> from the bands that I was told this was a waste of time and I would listen to them on headphones in art class, mm-hmm. I now know them. So, like... Crazy how that just... Uh, yeah, and I, and I think that's pretty cool. Like, I, I, like we... Um, from knowing the distillers, they took us to a wedding festival so this like last year we got to go like the reading which was mad with the distillers and we were backstage and frank carter who was the singer of gallows mm-hmm. was playing as well so it was really weird because we were in this triangle of the band that was the very first band i ever did anything for stunt band the current reason we're there and this weirdness of just like it's so odd and then as i looked over the other person on the distillers de- guest list was one of my tutors from university. No way. Yeah. Crazy, right? <laughs> That's so, so wild. Yeah, yeah. So it's like she was there when I was screen printing the gallows posters. Yeah. And then here's this now with the distillers. And it was just so bizarre. So it's just this weird triangle of like how life comes around. And so wow. that's the things you look back on and like, I'm super proud of, like, I'm super proud of that gallows poster. Yeah. I still have one somewhere signed by the band and, you know, bruised knuckles on the screen printing. <laughs> yeah. And like, it, but it is like all those little things fill you so, with so much more pride. Like, I couldn't care less about Kanye West and doing mm-hmm. that job. I couldn't really care about doing the Pharrell job because it's got no relevance to me yep. and my taste. But if, yeah, anything where it's like, oh, doing this silly drawing led to hanging out with Mike V. Yep. Then that's when it's like, oh yeah, that's rad. That's that's yeah. cool stuff. That's cool because there's a story and a path that you can follow along with that. And really that's why I, I wanted to really dive into that so early in this episode is that I wanted to understand the trajectory knowing that you're in this incredible position now that even I'm sure blows your mind every day. Yeah, yeah, and, and like the sort of steps that you took to get there, despite everybody saying mm, you should maybe not do this, <laughs> you know, things like yeah, that. Yeah. So, so I love that we were able to dive into that. Um, Phil, I want to wrap up here with the good old ask it forward question. This yeah. is where I have a question for you from my last guest, and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. So my last guest was Bryce Rays, and he's a designistrator. So he does a lot of design work, does a lot of illustrator work. So he's got this awesome term, designistrator. And, and he wanted to ask you, um, and you know what? Before I say this question, what I love about the ask it forward question is 90% of the time, like the guest has no idea. You have no idea who you're going to be asking your question to, but by complete accident, the question relates so well to that guest's story. Yeah. yeah. That is just brilliant. It's just brilliant. So this one I think is a really interesting question for you, given how much we focused on your story and sort of where you're at. Um, where are you wanting to be in your career long term, and how did you decide that? Okay. Um, I think long term, 
the goal is to move into more book work mm-hmm. with in collaboration with people. Cool. So looking at other bands and musicians who we could do other book projects with, but then mm-hmm. also putting out stuff as like a small publisher. Mm-hmm. And I and that really has come from spending time with Brett and looking at what he did with Epitaph. So he started Epitaph to just release bad religions music. And then he realized he could put his friends records out and then done so forth. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's the I'd like to use the mild success that we have to then pay it forward to the next people that like want to do this stuff. Yeah. I, and that's the, that's the master plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Get rich of other people's talent. <laughs> <Love that. laughs> so Phil, what is the question that you would like to ask the next guest? Okay. So I thought that this really, this was the hardest thing in that list. Um, I think my question is what medium have you struggled with the most that you expected to be or expect to be good with or people expect you to be good with you or others Hmm. so if you were to look at our work people might think that i could use ink but i can't because i'm impatient i love that and I, I also really like how your work and now hearing your plans of you know long-term career moving forward is focused on books and print related. I'm a huge sucker for print. That's why I have the print design podcast. Um, you know, just I, I love print. It's just a, a, a beautiful medium that that can bring people together, that gives a feeling of emotion. It gives this feeling of um, special and important way more than an Instagram ad, than a, a picture you see on Facebook, like, like way more than anything online. It's, it's because it's a real thing. It's something yeah. you created. It's an object. Um, and I love, I love that your work is, is more and more leaning into, into that because it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's awesome. Like to have people want your work like that. Yep. to like own your work and like people send us pictures of where they framed prints or like their kids with the books mm-hmm. or then reading the books to their kids and then that is like special because it's like oh you're part of their life for like an evening or you know a year or whatever it's, yep. it's, it's lovely it's nice to know that like that tactile thing mm-hmm. as opposed to like you say like when you do something digital and it's like oh yeah I did this awesome thing six years ago and now no one can ever see it yeah, I love that. Phil, you've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast, man. I thank you so much for being my guest today. This was incredible sharing, uh, hearing your story and uh, sort of the trajectory um, that you know you and your wife have been on with, with HE Creative. And I'm really excited to see where this is going to take you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Hey, that is the end of today's episode. I told you it was going to be rad. I told you it was going to be good. Dave never lies. You know what I mean? Dave never lies. So like I said in the beginning of this episode, if you are at all interested in craft beer labels, craft beer label design, head over to printdesignacademy.com and pick up that free guide to get the sort of deep dive into five different craft beer labels and how they were made. Printdesignacademy.com, that is free, my friends. And if you're digging what you're hearing here on the Quickie Podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening and leave me a rating and a review. They make me smile. 
They make my guests smile, and they're cool things I can tell my mom. That's right. Thanks so much, guys. We will see you next week.